Welcome to Uplifting Women podcast. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Join our co-hosts, Holly Tesca and Kristen Strunk, thought partners in the world of leadership, equality, and personal and professional development. Listen as they bring stories of inspirational women and their allies who are working every day for authentic leadership, equality, and inclusion in business, education, and community. These are the stories of the people whose mission it is to ensure others are seen, heard, and respected. They've overcome challenges in the workplace and the world or supported other women in doing so. Holly and Kristen are committed to uplifting women's voices, sharing inspiration, advice, and maybe even a few laughs from women and their allies about the work they are doing to promote inclusion and equality in our world. They believe that by sharing stories of challenge and triumph, we can all make the world a better place as we inspire others to step fully into their personal leadership space. We are so happy you have joined us today for our conversation. So welcome everyone. This is Holly Tesca and Kristen Strunk. And this is the Uplifting Women podcast. And today we are so delighted to have Deb Crow with us. Deb is a heart-centered leader enthusiast, I would say. So she is an executive and business coach. She has more than 30 years of global experience in top Fortune 500 companies across Canada, the United States, Europe, Asia, Australia. And she leads, has been leading and coaching C-suite leaders, executives, senior management professionals, and their teams. She started her own company in 1990 and knows how to get to the top, hold that senior position, and believe it or not, integrate career and family. We're going to have to hear about that, Deb, because that's a huge challenge for women these days. Deb prides herself on leading as a heart-centered leader who thrives on helping people become successful and fulfilled. She's had the same challenges in her life as her clients face. And she's remarkably familiar with the pressure of job deadlines, trauma, family obligations, inadequate feelings. She's been there, done that, and knows that there's always light at the end of the tunnel, even if it's dim. The hardest part is starting. And don't we know that? So Deb, you've got an amazing background. I love your podcast Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I was honored to be a guest there as well. So welcome to the show today. We are so looking forward to you sharing your personal journey with our list. I am delighted to be here with you and Kristen, and I want to congratulate you on your podcast and what you're doing to uplift women. I think there's a great conversation to be had that there's enough room in the sandbox for us all because we're all bringing our own special talents to what we do. So kudos to you, lady. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And we're having a great time doing it, just like you're having a great time doing your podcast. So it's all about helping to bring as much and as many of the gifts that people have to offer to the world, because it's a complex place and we need everybody to participate to their fullest potential. So we don't want anybody sitting back there thinking, oh, I can't do this. It's too hard. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to get resources. 
everyone has had their challenges along the way. And I think through sharing stories and you never know what's going to ring true for somebody and, and help them to take that first step or to take a leap of faith, if you will, to move forward. So Deb, I'm really curious, take us back to the beginning. What was the beginning of your career like, and how did you, how did it, how did it get you where you are today? It's Maya Angelou says we all have a story within us and it's sad if we don't share it. I'll take you back to September 13th, 1987 at 6am in the morning. I was in university. I had been caregiving for my dad for a year. He was very sick. He was 54. I was 21 and he was in the hospital. He had some difficulties and I had seen him the night before the Saturday night. And I get the call 6am. I'm at home by myself from the hospital. Your dad has died and you need to come mm. talk about growing up in a millisecond resilience became my middle name and the fear that sits on our shoulder. It had a permanent place, but it had to be trumped by courage and resilience because I was a young girl. My mother was very ill and unfortunately was an alcoholic and had her own journey and, and removed herself from our family home. And I didn't realize the level of hypervigilance that I had been living at, looking after my dad and going to school. I think I was on autopilot, grew up really quick. Yeah. I had responsibilities. I had a mortgage. I had a car payment. I was adulting 101 now. And just visceral level of grief that no one talked to me about. And there wasn't anybody there. My siblings were off and married and doing their own thing. And I really felt like somebody alone in the desert. I don't even know how else to explain it. Wow. And I grew up really quick. So I got a job and it was from age 21 to 24, where I really think my heart-centered leadership was birthed. And I had four of the most incredibly awful bosses over that tenure of time. And I got told you're too shiny. You're too smiley. You laugh too much. You're too gregarious. You're too verbose. And I would go home at night and I'd let the emotion sit at bay. And I would sequence the logic through my mind. Okay. I'm, I'm coming in early. I keep my desk clean. I'm a team player. I'm doing everything I'm asked. I stay late. I'm not a clock watcher. And I kept analyzing and thinking, why, what am I doing wrong? And one of the senior VPs was a gentleman. He was really lovely. And he always complimented me on how lovely I answered the phone. But the last boss I had, her name was Nancy very unhappy, divorced, overweight. There was nothing that I could say or do to ever appease this woman. So this VP took me out for lunch. And at first I thought he was hitting on me and I thought, oh my gosh, <laughs> but we're having lunch. And he said, you're losing your job at five o'clock. And I wanted to treat you for lunch because I wanted to tell you it's nothing you've done. And he said, Nancy's choosing not to see the leader in you and foster you and, and help you grow in our company. I don't want you to leave here and carry this thinking you did something wrong. 
go start your own business because you're a leader and he's, you're great with people. And the last two things my dad had said to me the night before he died was you need to think about what you're going to do for your career. And I really hope you're going to work with people because you just have a nice personality. And his mother, my Irish Nana really had a presence and was like my mom and Mm -hmm. she instilled really good values and morals and a belief system and took me to church and taught me that faith has a place and that heart has a place in leadership and that my kindness will never be a strength. Even if people tell me it's a weakness, which transferred into a behavior that not everyone's going to be nice to you or like you, but I can always control who I am. And that's their journey, not mine. Really hard, a lot to take in at 21, but I did. I started my own company and I just celebrated 31 years at the end of May. And it's been hard, but it's been worth it because I've been in charge of myself. So I've been as successful or not as successful based on my own attitude and mindset and ability to be an avid reader and a lifelong learner. And it just molded me to where I am today. So I opened up, I went back to school and I landed up being a community-based case manager. My specialty was neurotrauma because neuroscience is my love and my wheelhouse. And I did that right up until 11 years ago. And then, you know what? Life throws you those messages that really hit you in the heart. And I had three VPs and two CEOs go off on short-term disability claim. And they landed up going to a long-term disability claim. And then they were all diagnosed palliative. And I sat with all five of these amazing leaders at hospice and talked to them and held their hand at the end of life. And my name is never said like Deb Crow is either a noun or a verb. It's just so funny because I used to case manage a lot of kids and they used to call me Deb Crow. So these five executives said to me, if anybody's going to change the trajectory of this, it's going to be you, you need to Deb Crow this. And I made that promise to them. I talk about them every day. I carry on their legacy. And what I realized was I took a year off. I it took me a year to close my practice. I hired a business coach and she helped me develop an exit strategy. And it took me a year to handle all the logistics because I was managing adults and children and, and their families. And it was very emotional that I had to say, I'm, I'm closing. And, and I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I took a year to just allow myself to grieve the loss of my business, which triggered the loss of my dad. And I needed to come down from an unhealthy level of hypervigilance because I think as women, we put those super women capes on and we do and do until we drop and closing my business, losing my dad, everything was so raw and visceral. And then when the fifth and last executive passed, that was when I drew the line in the sand. And I thought, I'm going to take the time to think about this. And I thought, what transferable skills am I packing up from 21 years old to 11 years ago when I was 44? Wow. Wow. And I, and I thought I've been coaching people all along, but now I'm going to coach them so that I don't have to hold their hand in hospice. And so now I work with senior teams, executive teams and C-suites. And I can tell you wholeheartedly as a heart-centered leader, the case manager shows up when I'm coaching. Mm-hmm. How can it not? So I feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I think I'm on the trajectory I'm supposed to be. 
I love the work that I'm doing. I love people. I love connecting people. And I'm still open to evolve as a woman and a leader. I think I'm carving a beautiful path in thought leadership for heart-centered leadership as a whole around the globe. And it just feels like when we have those serendipitous moments, like when people say, don't you feel like you're at the right place at the right time? That's how I feel in the present moment. What a story. Talk about growing up in a nanosecond, having your dad pass away such a young age. And I turned 54 last year. And I I have since then become educated and trained in grief and bereavement. Mm-hmm. What a trigger memory when I turned 54. Oh, It took me back to spend some time in the observer's chair of being the 21 year old and going, oh my gosh, my dad was so young, but I didn't have time to have that level of thought or even any kind of cognitive emotion because I went into survival mode for myself. I had to plan a funeral and pick out a coffin and That was my first funeral. My dad, I wrote the eulogy and I'm such a rebel. I wore a white dress. Everyone was in black and I was in white. I thought, no, I'm going to be the shining light here. And I'm going to talk about my dad. And I, my grand, my Nana was so mad at me. She said, that's inappropriate. And I said, maybe for your generation, but I said, Nan, this is me. You got to let me be who I am. And I'm going to shine the light and celebrate my dad. I had this entrepreneur spirit. I named my business after him. I know I'm getting the proverbial spiritual kick in the butt every now and then from him. And whenever I ask him a question about direction or money, he always leaves dimes. I find dimes. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. You're definitely unbelievably intuitive. I knew that the first time you and I had a conversation. We talk so often about leaders who forget that they exist below the neck. Yeah. And and that connection is not only vital, it's necessary. And I think the missing link that I'm really thinking I'm part of the new foundation is business acumen. I'm often told that heart and love cannot be in the same sentence. We're human beings. What do we do? We, we love what we do. We love our family. We love our friends. It's part of who we are. It's our upbringing. It's our leadership story. Business yeah. acumen needs to open their bandwidth and change that. So I've been creating leadership courses on heart-centered leadership, mindful leadership, inclusive leadership. And the prerequisite is you have to take heart-centered leadership before you can move on to the other two, if you want to do them well and understand them. So academic institutions are coming and saying, okay, Deb, how do we do this? And for me, it's a pioneer goes off on that path when you're leading as a thought leader, and it can be really lonely. And then you got people going, no, that doesn't work. And this is the science and this is the research. And I'm like, there's a place for that but let's just meet people where they're at today in these unprecedented times. And that's why I think it's finally come up to the forefront, but it's been there for me for 34 years. Yeah. I think you raise an interesting point for all the bad things that, that COVID has opened up and the chaos that it's created 
there have definitely been some huge advances in the way people are thinking about work and leadership. And I know that Kristen has a lot of passion around work is out, work should be outcomes. It's not how many hours you have your butt in a chair. And the way we measure people is still so very outdated and goes back to the industrial revolution. We haven't evolved beyond that. So I am I am always thrilled to talk with people such as yourself that are encouraging leaders to not just rely on what they're thinking about but also recognize that there's a feeling component to this. There's an instinct, uh, instinctual component to it. It's trusting all the different intelligences that exist within your body and tapping into them fully, as opposed to believing you can think your way out of things. Not true. Well, and you know what? You bring up such a great point, and I know Kristen's going to love this. My definition of heart-centered leadership is honoring your connection with people. So when you look at the work that you do and Kristen does, especially having that HR background, people have to come before the paper. People are the paper. People are the processes. People are the protocols, the regulations. Everything comes down to that intrinsic value. I think we get muddied when things go awry and it's easier to lean back on a system. And I think people lose the, that cognitive emotional piece of just dropping the heaviness and the formality. And especially now and saying to people like, how are you feeling? People don't intentionally get up in the morning and get dressed and go to work and say, okay, my mindset today is I'm going to be in a really bad mood and treat everybody horrible. It's the leader's role to notice and observe that something's not right and have that beautiful face-to-face conversation. Even if it's on Zoom, it can be meaningful. There's so many nonverbal cues that we can do to let people know I'm here, I'm listening, I'm so present for you. And I think if we can drop the value system of reciprocity and that it's not a transaction, it's an energy exchange. I'm here for you. How are you doing? How can I help you? There's no, it's the non-judgment zone. That is my big wish going into 2022 is that people listen, really attentively listen. It's one of my 20 heart-centered leadership qualities. Be present because people's minds wander and, and they get into what I call squirrel brain and they're all over the place and they're not listening. And that hurts people, especially the introverts that are on these teams. And then their, their fear sits on their shoulder, but it's choking them because they won't speak up because what if, so there's so many things, but I think if we can go back to just the simplicity of people over paper, it's powerful. Love that. And it's one of the things that we saw at the beginning of the pandemic, we had leaders who really excelled in that space of just taking time. The pressures came off for outcomes. The pressure came off for meeting goals. And it seemed like people had space to breathe. And we heard that leaders were having very good conversations. And 
my leader cares about me, that those types of things. But what I've noticed as we're 22 months into this is that we're moving back towards business as normal. I'll put normal in quotes. So I'm wondering, what are some ways that you would advise leaders to really turn back the clock, if you will, to that point in time where well-being was at the forefront of their mind? I get asked this question almost on a daily basis, and, and it's a really simple answer. I always ask whoever's asking the question to just move themselves into the observer's chair and try to see the world at large through their lens as a leader. So I'll give you a good example. I coach an executive team for a digital global company. So I have different time zones. I have a real diversified executive team that I look after. And there's a lot of different opinions and different ways and habits of thinking. And those verbal and nonverbal cues can really play out when you're tired and fatigued and zoomed out or whatever, you know, platform you're using. One of the most simplest things that I've done is I went back to my yoga principles as a yoga teacher. And I thought, what mindfulness strategies can I bring in to add to their toolkit? So for this particular company, a lot of A-type personalities, I had them all turn off their video when they were in their board meetings. And I had them close their eyes when they were speaking and when they were listening, which should be all the time. And I got a lot of flack in the beginning. And I'm like, you need to hear me out because if you're going to put up a barrier, you're not even willing to try. When we turn off our video, we're at a little bit more ease because not everybody's looking at us. If, some, if a kid runs in or a dog runs in, like we have all these idiosyncrasies now that we're from home. There's also the social anxiety of the hybrid workflow, which is different depending on where we are around the globe. And just life in general, globally, we've lost a lot of people and not just to this, just the general thing. Like there's still cancer, still going diabetes, all the other things that we're used to hearing and COVID's like the icing keeps on giving, turn off the video and close your eyes. You're using a different part of your brain and you're telling yourself to be fully present and in the moment. And it took me about four weeks a lot of patience, a lot of what I call rinse and repeat. And the hardest leader, the CEO that was just thought it was ridiculous. I said to him, I want you to do it today. And then you and I are going to get on and look at each other. And we're going to talk about this. He finally was hearing the emotion behind the words from his people. And they were basically saying, I'm drowning. I'm burnt out. I need a break. We need a change, but this took four weeks. So I'm asking people to be patient. I'm asking people to sit in the observer's chair because they think Lee have this poshy, great job with a big salary and a fancy office. 
What they don't see is they're navigating unprecedented times with the pressure to keep the company afloat, keep the company making money. Don't lay anybody off. We got to stick to our values and our company mission. We are so quick to judge when we don't have all the information. So sometimes people don't realize how lonely leaders are at the top. They're viscerally lonely. They got to the top and a lot of them paid a price, which anchors me back to the case manager showing up. And, okay, you're there. You lost your marriage. Your health is in the toilet and your kids don't talk to you and you don't see your grandkids. You got everything extrinsic that you want in your life and everything that's important is now absent. So it's not a, it's not a cookie cutter, one size fits all, Kristen, because it's our role as coaches to, to be heart centered. And we have to meet all the different personalities and behaviors. And when you think about the thoughts and emotions and feelings that arise, and then you add the unprecedented time we're in, people are doing the best that they can right now with what they have, with the time that they have. And we just have to help others see that. And it sounds easy, but it's not. That's for sure. In your bio, it talks about you figured out how to integrate career and family. That's something that I hear from women leaders all the time. They feel as though they have to sacrifice in one um, area or the other. What's some of your secrets to making that balance? If you ask my children this, they would tell you that I am the queen of self-care. I am an expert at saying no. I have no problems putting in appropriate boundaries for myself. And my family is the most important thing to me. They come first. They'll always come first. I have no reservation or regrets for putting that first. And my family knows when I put myself first, I'm an even better wife. I'm an even better mother, friend, sister, all the hats that we wear. And if women can just reframe and lose that work-life balance, we're not a scale. You get caught up at work. Yeah, there's stuff at home. You get caught up at home. There's stuff at work. What if we just integrate and allow ourselves to be and do the best that we can every day and whatever didn't get done, it's not life-threatening. It can go to tomorrow. And I think if anything, the pandemic has pushed that to the top because when I was traveling, I had the help of my siblings picking my children up. I love to cook and bake. That's a wind down for me. And I would do that on the weekends for my kids. So even though I'd be away traveling when they were little, I was there because they were eating the homemade meal that we made together on the weekend, or they were eating the banana bread in their lunch, or I found solace in all the little things that I did when I was with them so that I was able to drown out the guilt thinking, oh, I should be home. There's room for both to reside and be in alignment. And you do that by just integrating them and lose the guilt and learn to say no. And, and don't, I was that mom that, yeah, I can do this. I can do that. I can be bake the cupcakes and go on the field trips and do all that. And then one day my husband just said, you can't keep doing all this and you're not really happy and you're just in the doing mode. And I was like, best advice, recalibrate. And I would help to the best that I could, but not to the detriment of my health or loss of time with my family. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think quality time is so much more important than quantity of time. And it's you were just incorporating your heart centered approach towards your family, that ability to be deeply present when you were there, that is, that is a gift to be able to do that for yourself and for your family. And I think since I became a yoga teacher at 50, and I really think that deepened my ability to have equanimity, that mental calmness and composure. And I often joke with a lot of my clients, and it's probably the best recommendation I want to give your listeners. And even you guys, the best diet that we'll ever be on is losing the weight of other people's opinions. When you can bask in your own self-care and your own self-awareness, there's nothing stopping you. And that's where I'm at. I think one of the things that comes up for me when I think about this heart centered approach, and I'm just in love with the thought process behind it and the way that it can be worked into, to your point, this business acumen conversation. But when I think about the heart centered approach, and I think about what we're talking about with things such as diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging. And I'm seeing some natural ties between the work that you're doing and the conversations you're having and this work that a lot of us are are focused on. What are some of the things that you suggest when you're talking to leaders about how this potentially impacts that part of their work? in that diversity equity space? Oh, I'm so happy you asked me this question. So I created a poster at the beginning of the year, which I'm going to send to you guys. And it's got 20 heart-centered leadership qualities on it. And I, I originally did it as an eight and a half by 11. And then a professor from South Africa, believe it or not, he messaged me and he said, would you blow it up and send me some for, for our school? And I got to thinking and I thought I need to have this in two sizes and I need to laminate it because one needs to be in a common area, whether we're at home or we're hybrid, we're back in the boardroom. People need to see this is part of our value system. And the eight and a half by 11, you laminate it because we all spill coffee on our desk. And then there's no excuse. You wipe it off and you carry on. I'm a mom. That's the way I think. But it's, it. it's in the forefront of your thought, whether it's coworker, family, friend, supervisor, leader, it doesn't matter. And then I got thinking even more about this, Kristen. And I thought heart-centered leadership is a universal language. That poster has been downloaded over a hundred thousand times since January 20, January 4th, I think we released it. And it's now in 11 languages soon to be 14. So when you remove the barrier of language and you make it universal, I can't think of a more beautiful alignment to diversity and inclusion. And I'm so glad you didn't say DNI. And I'll tell you why in a sec. It's completely in alignment with heart-centered leadership because love, love is every language. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed somebody on my podcast about diversity and inclusion. 
And he writes in his book and he said, I hate when people drive through this and supersize it. It's not DNI. Let's speak the word. We have all these beautiful culturals and ethnicities and religions from around the world. We all have the same heart in our body. So now I took that poster and I made it a universal language. And I, I started with the top five and people came out of the woodwork and said, Deb, can I please translate this into German and Hindu and Norwegian? And it's, yeah, my goal was to have maybe 10 or 12 languages by the end of the year. And I think we're going to finish with 14. So I have the poster digitally in 11 languages, which I'll send to you and you can share with your listeners, but I'm definitely going to do the good old snail mail and and send uh, you and Holly a copy. That's a great question, Kristen. Deb, I guess the last thing I really want to get into is what advice do you have for women who are struggling to step into their full possibilities for the world? You clearly had some very formative experiences early in your career, and everybody's got those in different flavors, but you really took some tough situations and you know, made lemonade out of lemons, quite honestly, right? Not everybody's got the fortitude to do that. What recommendations might you have for people if they're just trying to figure it out, trying to make that first step? I'm going to have them sit in the observer's chair and let's go back to the story about hospice. I've heard so many people over the years say to me, I wish I could, should, would. And to me, we're given one life to live. My Irish Nana used to say one trip around the sun and it's three simple words. Why not you? If God has gifted you to lead, please lead. We are all heart-centered leaders. Leadership belongs to everyone. You don't need a title. You don't need stature. You don't need a big rubric of roles and responsibilities, a fancy job description. We're all leaders. We all have a leadership story from the time we were five years old. We started kindergarten. Our social skills were developed at the end of age six. What has been your trajectory since then? And I encourage people to go back and write their leadership story because we pack transferable skills. I think of all of the the jobs I did from babysitter to student to case manager to coach to where I am now. And when I tell people I'm introverted, they look at me funny and they're like full on introvert right here. 75% of the people that I've interviewed on my podcast that are leaders are introverts. So we will give you 150% when we're in your presence, we're fully with you, but then we need to go home and recharge and put on our slippers and have a cup of tea or a glass of wine and have our blanket and be. So when I meet introverts and they say, I can't speak up or I'm this, I'm like, yes, you can. Because the fear sits right here and it sits there to remind you to keep your ego in check. Mm-hmm. It's also there to encourage you to let the courage out and, and just do it. And when you do it, yeah, you're going to fail. You fail and then you get back up, but at least you tried. I always love when I would get advice from people about my business and they didn't even own a business. So I teach people and talk about this to say, 
you're always going to have the naysayers. And one of my friends writes a column and she always writes, we're not pizza. Not everybody likes us. We're like coriander. We're a little bit spicy, but we're not for everybody. Find the leadership from your heart and, and let it out because if the world needs it at any time, it's right now. And the hardest part is starting and nobody's going to judge you. And you, and it's really hard to keep your passion there. But for me, I lie my head down every day when I go to sleep at night and I think today was a great day. And then when I wake up in the morning, I always think, how can I serve people today? And, and I always put out what we call in yoga and intention in Sanskrit, it's called our Sankalpa. And I always, my Sankalpa every morning, because I do a meditation is whoever I'm meant to meet, please put them on my path. And then I have fun all day because people will say, don't you think it's a coincidence we met? And I'm like, no, (laughs) because I intentionally put it out there at 5am when I woke up and just have a laugh at yourself and, and leave yourself room to, to fail. And you know what? Get back up, dust yourself off and try again, because we are evolving human beings. And when you stop learning, I think you stop loving yourself. And then I think your self-awareness goes into what I call like emotional overdraft, if you will. And life's too short not to try. And we are all imperfect. We are. And we are all aspiring to be better. So we're all among company is what I want. We're all in good company. Yes. We're all in good company. So Deb, it's been an amazing conversation. I so love your energy, your passion, what you bring to the world, the positivity, it just oozes from you, which, you know, is just so endearing. So Thank you very much for taking time to talk with us and our listeners today, all the success in the new year, and please let us know what we can do to continue to support you as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and all the best and and keep going and keep uplifting women around the globe, girls. (laughs) Thank you so very much. And now we're going to take just a minute for a word from one of our partner sponsors, CDR Companies. Are you looking for a way to develop yourself in 2022? Uplifting Women has the recommendation for you. CDR Assessment Group knows that only 10 to 15% of people are self-aware and that women are not reaching the levels of success that align with their true potential or goals. That's why they have worked hard to create a custom-designed coaching and development workshop for women based on their assessment results. In this workshop, they will help women become keenly self-aware, understand their relationship-building traits, and learn about the impact that risks have on their success and upward trajectory. Participants will also gain clarity on their operational and strategic capabilities that will help them reveal who they really are in a professional setting. CDR Assessment Group will share insights on how not to let risks hold you back, how to avoid underselling yourself, how to feel fulfilled and happy in your job, how to reach the level of success you're capable of, and much more. Join them on March 11th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. for an experience that will help you shine and reach your full potential by understanding risks and how to overcome them. If you're near Houston, Texas, 
Register for this in-person event at cdrinfo at cdrassessmentgroup.com or by calling 832-886-4308. Be sure you tell them that Uplifting Women sent you. Thank you so much for listening in on this latest episode of Uplifting Women podcast. Holly and Kristen appreciate your dedication to Uplifting Women and look forward to you joining them again soon. This podcast is sponsored by upliftingwomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Please visit your favorite platform where you found this podcast to leave a review. If you are an uplifting woman or a man who champions women's success with a story to share, Kristen and Holly would love to talk to you. Please visit upliftingwomen.net and leave us a message.